Hi, folks. Uh, okay, so uh, this week's content warnings, we are going to talk about ADHD, duh, um, the pandemic, and um, for those of you who might be a little whatever because of all the trauma it caused, the Elon Twitter deal, which apparently has been a tempest in a teapot, but we'll figure that out as it happens. Uh, the next thing is that we have animals. Yes. Um, two of whom just got into a little bit of a... a scuffle on my desk orange why did you have to be so mean to sergey which actually leads directly to number three yeah which is we swear a lot yes which uh, uh kevin said some choice words as a pair of cats tore across his keyboard and flesh uh yeah it, it would have been fine if they hadn't hit my like my fing someone hit my fingertips with her claws on her way past did not draw blood it was just surprising yes so, anyway, welcome to Productivity Alchemy, episode 255. We're just rolling through. Um, I completed the interview for, like, the second week of October earlier today. Damn. So, I'm, I'm feeling good. We're going to have a, a couple big biggies uh, in the next couple weeks. We've got um, uh, Mary Robinette coming up. We've got five hours talking to Dino about moving. <laughs> That it's not was... not actually five hours. It's like four and change, but yes, you you spent a good chunk of the weekend of, of was it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, having a fine old time with Dino. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, I hope everybody enjoys it. But uh, it was really good when we get to it because we're going to talk about moving, and it is a comprehensive. Here are things you should keep in mind and plan for when you are moving. It is amazing. We had a great time. Um, Moving I mean, is so damn stressful. Right? And uh, and these are things that will help you reduce the stress, too. So I'm excited to share that with y'all later. Um, today I have a catch-up interview with uh, Dylan Wilbanks, who uh, this will be his third time on. Uh, always a joy to talk to Dylan. I really should do more social calls and not just wait for... Uh, an interview time slot for people. Uh, I've been really bad about that. Um, but, you know, busy, day job, etc., etc. Um, chickens. So many chickens. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I moved the, uh, the mi mi middle. I almost said medium, but the middle set of nuggets uh, out to the main chicken yard on... Sunday. Is that, is that the middle set and the... The, the, the Bantam Cochins. Yes. I, yes. I, was, I was wondering what the... I, I suppose Lachesis's... Right. Who were uh, born three weeks later. Yeah, or okay. hatched three weeks later. Were, yes. uh, yeah, we're, we're the... Are the, uh, the smallest and the last for this year, we yes. hope. Um, so, yeah, and they've had a really exciting day because today is the day I let them out of the coop. Oh my goodness! Yes, and so there that was that would explain some some yelling I heard, some earlier. running around and peeping loudly. Uh, well, there was there was some indignant squawking earlier while I was out gardening. Oh yeah, and uh, they get too close to Lachesis at all, or sometimes when Lachesis sees them, and it is it is on, it is on. Although one of them, I I is probably a rooster. It was trying to stand up to um, Morticia. God bless its little cotton socks. Yes, as it was, it was like trying to lean over and do, do a full, a full neck. Now this is a chicken that doesn't even come up to her knee. 
And it was like, I will take you. Not so, only is it a baby, it's a bantam. Yeah. But uh, bantams are, as many people know, uh, I, I I don't like the word Napoleon complex because Napoleon was actually an average height and all the whole thing about him being short was, you know, basically uh, bad publicity from other people. But they have... I mean, yeah. Bantams are, you know, a a... Whole uh, a, a gallon of ferocity in a pint package. <laughs> a gallon of ferocity in a pint in a pint package. That's a that's a that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I, I like that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's been the big chicken news today. Yeah, there's been a lot of running and squawking. It's it's been adorable. After we record, we'll have to go out and take a look. I oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to see I want to see where they go back into because a couple of them had decided they didn't want to be over there, and so had come over to the main zone. Oh, the the grown up the grown up zone or uh-huh. the the big chicken zone. We yes. should call it the big chicken zone because there are no bantams there, and yes. the large zone has all the bantams. Um, and large, ironically, is the largest of the bunch, but. Although yeah, Pot Pie's probably bigger, but he's uh, he is yeah. so elderly and sedate. Well, Lorge Lorge outweighs Pot Pie by a good doubling. Pot Pie is mostly fluff. Yeah, uh, the the Lorge Rooster, and I I hope you people are not terribly bored with talk about the chickens because yeah. you know, uh, is he is going white, and I didn't even know chickens went white. Right. But he is he is going white, and if he is, as I suspect, a production red rooster rather than a Rhode Island red, he has certainly exceeded what would normally be considered his natural lifespan. Right. And and he is an old man. Like he's he's definitely an old man. But it's uh, the bit where his his ears and his eyebrows and his tail feathers are all starting to go white. Yes. And, you know, he, but he still enjoys life as far as, you know, he likes food. He likes yeah. to sit in the sun, preferably with a stick on his back. Under under his log, yeah. He has a log that he likes. It has, a, it has an arch in it, yeah. Yeah, that he likes to just sit under the log. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's routinely on chicken cam. Yeah, which, so, yeah. which does not cover him in any significant way. The lo- log is only, what, maybe two inches in diameter? Yeah, maybe. And, yeah. But he he just wants to sit in the divot under the log, and then he is happy. Happy, yeah. And you know, find your log in life, people. Clearly, this is yeah. the 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 answer. I mean that, and that's that's pretty much all we can say about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's <laughs> he's he's happy. He's old. I you know I hope no one is running around when I'm an equivalent human age saying you know what we need to do. It's time to eat him. Yes, well, thank you, Shepard. Um, Shepard has a grudge against Lorge for the time Lorge tried oh, yeah. to kick his yeah, yeah. ass. So, yes. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, I I have been wrapping my head around uh, a puzzle. A this isn't working the way the documentation says it should. Oh, this is why thing. Like today, I had the breakthrough of oh, that's why it isn't working the way I expected to. Because it's not designed to work the way I expect it to. So I'm fixing all of that. Um, and it seems to be doing okay. Um, Excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and you are, oh, you and I were talking about you needing to maybe take a little bit of a break because you delivered three books in 30 days and then... It was actually three books in, in copy three edits? weeks. In three weeks, yeah. And then I did all the copy edits on another novel yesterday. Yeah. Which there weren't, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was, okay, it was a good couple solid hours of work, but, but it wasn't like, it wasn't brutal copy edits. It was a really good copy edit. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> but I, I feel guilty because like I did, I took like a day or two off after I handed them in. And, yeah. Yeah. And I have this great fear that if I am not, you know, obviously doing butt in chair time that my loved ones, mostly you will <laughs> resent me for not visibly working when you have to visibly work. And I know this is kind of a silly fear because you yeah. are like, you know, super supportive and are always yelling at me to take time off. And also clearly deeply believe that a lot of my work is done behind my eyes when I am not obviously working. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just not in the chair, which is uh, nice to, you know, that... that I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's, I, I don't know if it's, if you do like I do, but when I'm working on a presentation, when I'm working on an article, when I'm working on, you know, um, a talk for a, a con or something, I spend a lot of time in my head, like designing, repeating, rehearsing even before I actually start work on the actual presentation so that when I sit down and I'm doing the visual aids or I'm writing the actual article. Do you do a article, lot of article. in the shower too? Um, sometimes. Yeah, the shower is very conducive. To yeah. I do a lot of it when I'm not falling, when I'm trying to fall asleep is that I, you know, just sit there and my brain is like, okay, so what happens next? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And I don't know, I, I've just been having a bad brain week. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it is obvious that, that something is up because I, uh, like, let's face it, I have ADHD in an impressively big way. Clinically significant, <laughs> I believe the doctor said. Yes, as I told the saga of the time I ran the red light because I was thinking about werebear porn. Um, not even in an erotic way, in a business sense. Uh you see what what happens in my house, folks. It's just a yeah. Uh, but I forget where I was going with that. Wear bear porn, ADHD. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Even for me, I have been a space cadet today, and like this this. Whole and you week, took your pill, right? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Okay. This whole week, I've been like just off and either anxious. Like, I was super anxious Monday. Yesterday, I got some stuff done, and today I was just like, nope, brain not firing. We'll do grocery shopping and pot up some plants, because yeah. brain not not braining. I don't know, maybe... And, I mean, you you, it is okay for you to not work and to let your brain rest. Of course, if your brain's like mine, that only lasts so long before your brain is like, hey, I have this great idea, or hey, why don't we go work on, or hey, so... Um, well, yeah. You know. 
but yeah, I, I just feel guilty for not having the obvious like butt in chair portion of the day because mm -hmm. I feel like everyone will think I am a slacker. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I'm not required to have literally butt in chair, but I spend a lot of it doing that, and I am. You know, I'm I'm happy that it's butt in chair in my own home, in my own office, and not butt in chair somewhere where somebody is watching me every hour. I still have the thing in the back of my head that if I'm not here at my desk logging on at 9 a.m., then obviously people are going to think I'm not working. I'm yeah. getting over it. Getting over it. Um, but that's years of, you know conditioning and oh, yeah, office yeah. and you know i work in a place that's like yeah uh, if you know if you make all your meetings and you do your best work from you know 10 p.m to 2 a.m rock on hang out with the people in uh, in you know the asia pacific time zones knock yourself out yeah so um but i never i can't I can't get past that hump that 9 a.m. is when work starts Monday through Friday, um, unless we have a, a company holiday or a day off, um, which we have this Friday because Friday is uh, because Sunday is Juneteenth. Ah, yes. And our company observes, at least in the U.S., Juneteenth. Um, and I think it's a very important holiday to to watch and to to observe and to, you know, understand so I will put a link to uh, information about Juneteenth on in the uh, in the podcast notes in the show notes. Um, and I actually have a a long space before my next deadline uh, for once, yeah. which part of me is like, oh wow, I could take some time off and do another thing. Another part of me is like, no, you will go mad with time off, and it will be. October and you will have like one month to write the novella and, and yeah yeah which has never actually happened but part of my brain is still convinced yeah and I mean you know if nothing else you need to do con prep next week oh god um yeah because we are on our way to Anthrocon in like two weeks from today. I am I am doing a very laid back anthrocon this time. Yeah. I'm yeah. actually going to be on a number of panels okay. on the writing track. And uh Oh good. That means I, I won't be I, I will be actively sitting behind the table going, No, I'm not her. Yes, she will be back. No, I'm not her. She'll no, she's not doing this this year. Yes, no, maybe. Um I know you enjoy that. I do. I do. <laughs> it's gonna be very weird. This is the first time in over uh, in a decade that I haven't been working security. Yeah. Um, in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, even the year you we, we had uh, guest of honor privileges, you were the guest of honor and I was your plus one, I spent, you know, evenings sitting on the door checking badges at dances and things to, you know, because uh, we needed the help at the time. Uh, the yeah. Dorsai are not the security crew this year, so I'm just going to try to enjoy the con. Yeah. I know a lot of people from the dorsi who reg or who work with the dorsi that regularly attend that are all sort of like oh okay yeah so, so it's, yeah it's yeah uh mm -hmm. and uh, so we'll we'll see how it goes yeah. uh i am i am going to try not to to yeah brutalize myself yeah but uh, if you're in pittsburgh for anthrocon 
this year, you know, stop by the, the table in the dealer's room and say hi. Yes, wear a mask, though. Wear a mask, and, uh, oh, I will... I guess I should take some Productivity Alchemy cards and stickers, shouldn't I? Yeah, you probably should. Yeah, I probably should. Cool. Okay. So yeah, that's what I have been doing or not doing. Yeah. Um, take the days off. Take, just, you know, do garden, play video games, do things that let your brain recuperate. I, I am sort of feeling like maybe poking at the comic with the bird and the AI. Yeah, maybe, stuff yeah. That I did for a while there that I could post some of those online too. Yeah, poke poke at some things you haven't poked at. Poke at do things if you're going to do creative-ish things because I know you can't not create. Um you cannot art, you cannot not author. Um you cannot not art. Anyway, you you know what I mean. Yes. Um work on some things that are completely unrelated to authoring and you know the things that do hobbies not just the thing that generates you money they do yes. the work on things you want to work on not yeah um so anyway that's that's us this week so i got this interview we should listen to the interview yeah no it's a fantastic interview um like i said it's uh the third conversation with Dylan Wilbanks, who I used to work with many years ago, like when the podcast was starting out, um, and who has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's a bit of a catch-up. So, hey, ain't that awesome? Uh, and we'll have that for you right after this. Hi, folks. I'm excited. I get to talk to Dylan again. Dylan, you haven't been on here for, what, three years was the last time we talked? Four years, I think. 2018. Four years? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. That long already. Okay. Well, so, I Dylan Wybanks. Yeah. Not, not four not four years. Let's be clear. Given the things that have happened, it's probably more like <laughs> four or 400. Oh, God. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Um, so. Anyway. Yeah, I, I can't remember what episode numbers off the top of my head. I'll probably link them or not in the show notes because I forget all the time. Uh, but Dylan's back. We haven't talked in forever. And I'm willing to bet things have changed a lot in the last four years or the last 200 years that apparently only took up two on a calendar. So yeah. um, Dylan, introduce yourself and uh, tell us what you're doing now. <laughs> Sure. Hello, I'm Dylan Bilbanks. I am currently director of design at Cinity, which is a company that does enterprise data software quality, data quality, data migration, um, and data governance. That's the other thing I was thinking of. Um, So I have a I run what's essentially what larger other companies would call the user experience team or their action design team and the what they would call the docs team or the content design team so they're both now right. under me I have a 
pretty large purview or aegis to, to work with for that. Um, I have been doing this for, oh, sheesh, how long have I been doing anything? I started doing web design in 94, so this job since 2018, I I looked it up in the last episode, I had just started at this job, and I listened to a few things I said back then, and it was, uh, just a side note, have you seen those interviews with Billie Eilish? on youtube where every year they go and so she did an interview of vogue when she was 14 or 15 and every year they bring her back and they ask her the same questions okay and i don't watch these yeah and they'll they'll also show her think ways she's answered it in the past and goes oh that's not even where i am now so but it's a really I, i point out just because it's a really great way to watch someone who becomes incredibly popular, incredibly life changes as they go and how they are actually feeding back against it. So part of it for me was like, this was half that this is half seven up for me. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I have done, I don't think I've orchestrated my life in such a way, but it's just like, until you've said that Billie Eilish has had absolutely no interest to me other than it's a name. I scroll past a lot on like music stores. Mm-hmm. Right, online music stores, um, and oh look, Billie Eilish is coming for a concert. Do not be in that part of town on that day because it's going to be crowded as fuck. So, no. yeah, yeah, she. But yeah, but they. Now I'm gonna have to go look these up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just made you l- go look at the music of the kids of today, and I apologize for that. Yeah, I mean, I can't spend all my days listening to either the latest metal or emerson lake and palmer albums from the 60s and 70s right so yeah i mean at some point you have to embrace the bedroom pop that has taken over the world and i mean i i will admit this is a great failing of mine is that um i love Katy perry and i love mm-hmm. miley cyrus because they are incredibly incredibly talented vocalists mm-hmm. and performers and Every time somebody like wants to give me shit, I'm like, okay, first off, go find the backyard sessions by Miley Cyrus and listen to them where it's just her mm-hmm. and her band doing covers of the songs that influenced her. And then just like cry at how good she is and then yeah. find other things or Lady Gaga, who is an incredible vocalist, but everyone wants to sort of poo poo it. And then you see the stuff she did with what Tony Bennett and it's like boom. Tony Bennett, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I think one of it, we're we're already off track, but here we are. Well, I yeah. Think one of the yeah, usually how it goes with us. I, I think one of the good changes that's happened the last five to ten years has been, you know, for those of us who grew up Gen X, mm-hmm. you know, there was the sort of bubbly, positive, you know, pre prepackaged pop music of the day just drove us nuts. And that's why we ended up in grunge and why we ended up in metal and why we ended up in goth and stuff like that. And the change I've seen, especially having a Gen Z or kid Mm -hmm. is that they don't have that baggage anymore. So now they see pop in a similar way to the way we would see those things. For instance, bedroom pop in a lot of ways is goth. Only it's somebody with 
Pro Tool or somebody with GarageBand in their whatever recording the yeah, song yeah. and ends up being in the top ten. And it's like it's kind of it's kind of cool, honestly, because it, it 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 may I like the fact that we're finally maybe getting beyond um, Record Store Boy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite bands, um, and I realize this is a little goth emo of me in some ways. Uh, or as Ursula said, you have the musical taste sometimes of a fourteen-year-old girl, um, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. I love Icon for Hire. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. they are completely independent now, and I love watching how they have basically gone from under an oppressive record contract to we own our own music to um, I think they're working on their third or fourth self-produced crowd-funded album, and it's going to be a monster. Mm-hmm. Right, do and they're just doing it all their way. The music they want to make, the stuff that speaks to them, and I think it's 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 like the revolution of, of the musical revolution of of the last decade. Oh my God, is it the last decade? Right, is just oh God. how easy it has been to for artists to not have to buy into the well. If we sell out, we will make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but then they're stuck on, under the thumb of the record companies and the, the, yeah. the radio stations and whatever. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Um, it's been interesting. Yeah. And watching things shift away as well from you sign a contract with the record company and you're always going to be in debt with them and everything else too. Yeah. I'm going to sign a licensing deal with you. You're going to license music from Dylan Wilbanks music and sell it yeah. for me under you know, Warner or, or, um, you know, universal or whatever it is you want to sell it under. It's like, that's, that's a huge change. Cause now it's saying oh, yeah. like, not only do I own my music, what I'm all I'm get, telling you to do is go promote my music for me. I'm yeah. hiring you in a sense to do that. So. Oh yeah. It's like the shift in the nineties, the nineties yeah. and early two thousands in hip hop, where it went from, uh, where hip hop artists were starting their own production companies and getting their own studios because mm-hmm. they knew that way they could control not only their own music, but then they could promote other artists into the labels they worked with. And, you know, it made everybody, it made everything better for everybody. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, well, we're already off track, but let's, of course. let's keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, still have the ADHD then? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I'll say the thing with the pandemic mm-hmm. or the panini or the panorama or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think panini is the best name, by the way. I like that one. Yeah. That was pretty yeah. Cool. So the thing with it is how many people I know who having confronted the trauma of this experience mm-hmm. of stuck at home for eight weeks and then watching America bifurcate between it's all gone. No worries. It's all over in the other and versus it's still here. It's going to get us is yeah. suddenly they have this opportunity to sit in their head and mm-hmm. think about, okay, I'm working online now I'm doing this. What is I really, what's, what am I and what do I want to do? So um, I mentioned this because I, you know, I took my son to a um, to get a evaluation for ADHD, mm-hmm. and the therapist who did it said that in the last 
during the pandemic period, the last 3,000 years or whatever, she has the last three years, she's done more um, evaluations for ADHD than the previous 17 years of her career combined. Yeah. And I think I, I, I can actually, and I'm making this up as I go along, so you can call bullshit if you think, but I think one of the things is that a lot of people's coping mechanisms, right, for those who didn't have a severe enough ADHD that it was just absolutely apparent, right? Was mm-hmm. that you had a schedule, you had a routine, you had to stick to it. And as long as you did that, everything was under control and you didn't have to control it. Right. right? What was you're a little late because you got distracted to buying a coffee on the way into work now became your, your, you know, you got distracted making your coffee and it's an hour later and somehow you're outside playing with the birds. And yeah. how did that happen? Because all of that structure was sort of ad necessarily so taken away. Um, and a lot of people I think who have even milder ADHD were compensating for it with that structure by a structure yeah. that was imposed from outside them, outside their control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I actually agree with that because I think, especially as someone who came up, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite old enough to get the drugs and everything else. So I missed the, I missed the nineties craze because I was in the eight the seventies and the eighties and got yep. called a hyperactive yep. kid and got fed wheat germ and a few other horrible shitty things that happened to me, but that's a different podcast. Um, is uh, the, the great care of a betrayal. Oh God, God! Let's not even right? talk about Carib. God. Um, but what I what I have learned over the years is the thing that is the masking for me. The way I've been mm-hmm. able to get through this, you know, back to the point here is having to build the systems inside of me to make this work. Because every time someone tried to impose a system from outside of me, I either rebelled. Or it failed. And then if it failed, it it became it's your fault for being such a failure and being such a disappointment. They made it I mean, I'm not people outside of me saying that, but it's me saying it to myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to the you know, the thing that I've really learned out of this pandemic is just how many things I created to be able to live this particular life. One of as a side point, one of the things that was going around during the pandemic you know, with the whole, hey, do you have ADHD thing and TikTok mm-hmm. being ADHD TikTok all of a sudden was they were sitting around <laughs> online surveys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a fairly comprehensive one. I don't remember which one it is, but it was, I think, a score out of 100 and something. And it, it was just classical, you know, Likert scale stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I took it. And I got to the end of it and it said, you're mildly ADHD. Um, You're 30-ish. And then somebody told me, now take it as if you were 16. Remember how you were and Mm -hmm. take it based on that. 98. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you learn one way or another how to do this. And the problem is, is the way that you learn it healthy or not. And I, I think one of the things we discovered, right, is 
or at least one of the things that has come out of it in in our discover with Ursula's path and whatever is that anxiety is often one anxiety is often a symptom among and I don't know the right terminology for this. All I can come up with, and you will pardon this, is assigned female at birth, right? Mm-hmm. Is um, and if there if there's a correct terminology for that, because we haven't figured, I haven't figured it out yet. Um, but is that socialized in that way you're you know be quiet sit still and so it all internalizes and it expresses itself as anxiety so a lot of people who have anxiety it's actually adhd because Mm -hmm. they've anything that like boys were allowed to fidget and boys were allowed to bounce off of walls because Mm -hmm. boys right but yeah yeah and so it so it's internalized in a different way and expressed in a different way and so that was um you know one of the great another one of the great failings of the uh, healthcare system in that i mean yeah. i know we can both go into a long 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 list and rant on that but yeah oh i don't even want to get started on that one that's a yeah, whole yeah. other podcast but right yeah i will say having a son who mm-hmm. assigned female at birth afab yeah. um when he started transitioning for you know he transition to the non-binary and then now mm-hmm. he's transitioning to male Yeah, is watching the perception of everybody in the school system change completely about him that it went from anxiety depression nervousness there's something it just clearly you know unsocialized mm-hmm. it's the, the shy little girl turned into I think he has ADHD yeah and it's like huh that's interesting. You change your gender and suddenly you have ADHD. And then the whole thing you hear, of course, is that it's overwhelmingly diagnosed in, in boys. Those, yes. you know, you know, Oh yeah. AMAB or whatever you want to say. Um, and under, under diagnosed in AFAB folks. Yep. But then you compare the diagnosis of, I think it's anxiety and depression. And it's almost a flip, mm-hmm. right? Until, and then when you start to compare symptoms and things, you realize that it is like the moment Ursula started getting treatment for ADHD, she was like, yeah, half of my anxiety is gone. Yeah. Because most yeah. of my anxiety, it turns out, was related to the fact that I, I had these warring voices in my head that over what I should and shouldn't be doing and all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so that's interesting. So yeah, yeah. we're terrible. We're terrible. We're, we're, <laughs> oh, we're a horrible society. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. can go into that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, there are big changes in the last year. So let's, yeah. let's, let's like talk about actually, um, what does your, what, how do you keep yourself organized now uh, as compared to then? Is it significantly think, different? Is it constantly evolving or is it the exact same way? It, it's, it's constantly evolving, but it's very different from the way it was four years ago. Okay. Because after all these years I discovered, so I have a very visual mind. Mm-hmm. And the thing I tell people at times is I, I don't necessarily remember the words on the page, but I remember what page it was on, how far into the book, 
where I was sitting, what the weather was, what's what I was wearing. And like, I know the stuff okay. around it, even though I don't know the thing in it. And that's how I identify things is that sort of hyper meta tag thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I realized, and I do have a point here. What I've realized over time is that if I live in a world where everything is hyper tagged, where everything mm-hmm. has that ability to sprawl, I can't actually get organized because it's fighting me and it's fighting my personal urge to do that. Okay. One thing I found though, is if I write it down, I tend to remember it. I know how it is, you know, Mm -hmm. put it on the page. You remember where you were, where you blah, 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 blah. So I actually have shifted to using um, notebooks, the the like terms or whatever you call them. The, 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 the dot rule glories. Um, and they're the best notebooks ever, especially because I'm, I'm a Southpaw and they lie flat. Oh, yeah. Don't, yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't even get me started about moleskins. They just, they don't lie flat. But anyway. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you my toy, which has become like the most important, one of the most important things I have with me at all times. Mm-hmm. I have a remarkable. Ooh, interesting. So it is, it is the, I, 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 they should pay me money. The way I love this thing, it is the the digital notebook that everything else I've tried fell short of. Mm-hmm. I've tried using the the iPad stuff. I've tried phone stuff. I've tried uh, 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 Android tablets. I've tried other e ink devices. It's driven me crazy. They designed this thing for writing. That's. Mm. Like it is everything I want in a notebook. Only I can now click buttons and send it to Evernote or wherever. And yeah. you know, it is, oh, and it's, it was so expensive, but every day I use it and every mm-hmm. day I regret, I, I, I've never regretted spending the money, but it's mm-hmm. still, I, I, God, it's just, it's it's like when I got my Apple Watch and I was angry at myself for spending so much money on other smart watches over the years, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, great, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm angry yeah. at myself for not getting on board sooner. But we had it. One of my coworkers got a deal for referrals, so yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll but yeah, 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 you, yeah, yeah. Oh, at least show you the red book, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a whole shelf of them over here now where I like all the work over the last three or four years. But so that was one piece of it. I finally realized I needed to stop doing it electronically. I needed to do it not electronically. And, you know, remarkable, I think a remarkable does seem like a wonderful thing. And, you know, if you call, you know, if you call right now and give them the code Sunny. They will say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to be like, what drugs are you on? Yeah. Exactly. Like, if they came to me with a sponsorship deal, I'd be like, sign me up. I don't take sponsorship deals, but for you guys. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is a, this is a perfect, this is a, this is kismet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. So the other thing with mm-hmm. that is I was looking for a system that would allow me to do more than just write crap down and try to remember it. Right. And it was funny because um, bullet journaling mm-hmm. is, in at least in my perception, was always this thing that was hyped for the girl boss, right? And 
you know, every everybody has a bullet journal. You need to have a bullet journal, and then you need to drink your oat milk and all that. Like it, it, it had that perception to me. Yes. So, but I realized as I looked at it, the notation system's brilliant. I use I mean, it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know. it's like, oh, of course, dot, X, arrow, draw a line through it, move it to the next page. I'm like, why? It's, 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 like, it's like markdown, but for task, you know? I mean, that was, that was the thing. It's like, I, even if I'm not in an actual markdown document, I use markdown notation for so many things. And yeah, bullet journal notation in written notes, I write it's so close to Markdown because, and I, that's how I, I started to remember it. And also, yeah, I kind of, I will often do Markdown on paper, mm-hmm. right? Just because there I am and it's a, a quick and easy notational thing. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I have come to appreciate bare bones bullet journaling. And then I ignore the, a lot of the, you have to do the pretty layouts and you have to do this mm-hmm. because that doesn't inspire or all the other stuff, but yeah, straight system is a, is brilliantly designed. Yeah. I am. You would not have heard me say that four years ago on this podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah. You would not have heard me say that at all four years mm-hmm. ago. Cause like I said, it, there is such a perception of it as, you know, it, it, here are all the pretty layouts and here's all the things you can do and all the lovely colors and all this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking at it going, that's not me, you know, it's yeah. just, but then as I pulled at it, as I looked at it, I went, Oh my God, that's a, th- the core is brilliant. It's yeah. everything that's built up around it. That's the problem. I like, I can probably say that about most everything. It's like the core is great. Oh yeah. 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 The yeah. hype machine. <laughs> That band is great, but their fans make me insane. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about on that. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, admitting that you actually like a band and it's like, oh my God, they're so popular. How could you ever like them? It's like, because they mm-hmm. actually do a pretty, they actually make good music. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're an enjoy, like, I could put an album on. I know what I'm getting. It's enjoyable. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah. So why I go to Starbucks. It's when I'm not at home because I know exactly what I'm going to get every single time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's like not the best coffee in the world, but it is consistent and that's important. Yeah. Uh, you know, side note there is that it's, there's this running thing of like a Seattleite will never go into a local Starbucks, which isn't true. <laughs> we do. I've, I've seen all of, I've, I've, been to those Starbucks and believe me, there are lots of locals there. Oh yeah. I mean, post post Panini, Panopticon, whatever, mm-hmm. we've seen a decline. Like my neighborhood at five. We're down to just three. Oh, oh no. So on the other hand, by the way, it now brings us back into balance with cannabis stores. Because for a while there we were had more Starbucks again than cannabis stores. Oh yeah. And so yeah, it yeah, fluctuates yeah. back and forth, right? Yeah. But there was always this thing like Seattleites don't do that at ho- at home, but they'll do it on the road. And I'm like, and I think most everybody will because it's a McDonald's like quality where it's like, yeah, yeah I know exactly. We ate a lot of McDonald's in Europe because we knew what we were going to get and it was easy, you know, versus, you know, fighting your way through 
all this and getting handed. Oh God. I can't remember what it was. I got handed, but it was some weird French, French rolled sausage for lunch. And it was 98 degrees outside. And I'm just like, this is not what I want. What I want is, a, is like a McFlurry. The one of the best and meals we had at the end of our trip in China was there was a KFC in the airport in uh, Xi'an. And mm. it was not, by American standards, it was not the greatest KFC. But my God, it was KFC. And we hadn't yeah. seen, you know, a KFC since we had landed in that airport a month earlier. And it's like, yes, yeah. I am, you know, why do Americans eat KFC in China? Because after a point, it's just like, I need that comfort food. Yeah. Um, it's a comfort food thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, or comfort coffee thing. Yeah. So, yeah. thinking of Seattle things, there went the uh, Amazon Prime delivery person. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. They they know my house by heart now. Uh, same. Hey. Same. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, oh. I'll say that the, I mean, the big change for me the last few years is mm -hmm. I've gone from being just a regular old and inter individual contributor mm -hmm. to a manager to now a director where, you know, I'm now managing managers. I'm now having to speak for the entire design organization in, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the product organization, the dev organization, marketing, yeah. et cetera. And the shift has meant well, one too many damn meetings, but also mm -hmm. two having to do a lot of balancing between stuff. I would have called an individual contributor work before mm -hmm. that. I still kind of need to do. And then the, the big strategic work and it's hard to do the brain shift as a designer. When you go from, I need to make a page that does this to I need to build a strategy for how we're going to roll out these multiple set of products over the next few years and how the information architecture fits all those pieces together. And then back to I, that button should have been blue. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's an interesting shift and, and um, not everybody makes it successfully. Right? No. Um. I know several people who have worked their way up and are like, you know what? This is not for me. I would like to go back to being an individual contributor. Um, mm -hmm. I am structuring my career in such a way that uh, at least on the technical side, I will probably always be an individual contributor because I know where my strengths mm -hmm. are. And it's, it's, you know, um, at least if I'm going to stay on the tech side mm -hmm. for the rest of my career uh, as it is. Right. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, that also means like you've probably had to change. Yes, too many damn meetings. I think that's true of anyone in a leadership role of any sort. In, in yep. you know, like get that premium Zoom subscription through the company and work it. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So how does that like? I'm, I'm trying. How does that? How does the organizational system then shift between the two? Um, cause it had to shift over time because you had to be able to address the different, mm -hmm. the, the changes. Yeah. I think 
the first thing you learn when you make this shift upward is what delegation actually means, which is you should not be doing everything. You need to make sure your team is doing things. And it's not just because you're, it's make work. It's not just because you are, you know, you're telling the interns to get you coffee. It's, right. it's, I, um, it's learning how to, as, because we all need to work as a team together. Mm-hmm. You need to have ownership and responsibility of things. Right, right. You need to feel like you're empowered to be part of that. So one of the hard things for me shifting is moving from I alone can fix it to, you know, honestly, should I be doing this? Is this really worth my time or should I be, should I pass this off to somebody else? And, you know, the way I have run my team has looked very well. I keep saying I'm not doing it the correct capitalist way. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I will. So, on to another media reference. I don't know if you've seen um, Our Flag Means Death. The- yes. Oh, God. So, I love it so much. Yes. So, one of the things that come out of that, especially in talking to people, is everyone goes, you really manage your organization like like Steve Bonnet manages his boat. And I went, that's not does not sound like a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but um there is um there, there's a there's not to spoil too much of it, but there is a moment where um he's questioned whether or not he actually is a pirate and his yes. crew basically intervenes and says, Oh no, no, no. I can prove to you. He's a pirate. And the, the antagonist in the scene just goes, how could you follow this idiot? And he turned back to, you know, bonnet and he goes, well, I, I, I put that to a people, to a people, positive management style. (laughs) But yes, but yeah, that the, the interesting thing out of, the work is I, I came into a, I absorbed a couple of other work, another organization along the way. And they were very top down, leave me alone, very standoffish, very prickly. And they got pulled into the design team where we are not standoffish or prickly, but we have real good, we have ideas and you're going to listen to us. Right. And having to coax them over time to away from don't be standoffish don't be prickly raise your hand if you have too much work work together treat each other you know you should have your kindergarten skills no i'm always going to have your back and mm-hmm. just just do the best job you can today do a better job tomorrow and nothing we do is going to nothing that and nothing that most of us do in software is right. going to result in people dying, right? I mean, there is a lot in software that could result in people dying. I right. want to be clear yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. But but when you're talking about updating the documentation for a data quality product, mm-hmm. if you don't get that right, it's not like a plane's going to slam into the side of a mountain, you know? It's not oh, yeah. like somebody, some dog is, you know, the dog's going to get it. It's like, it's great. It's not that important. Focus on you 
number one. Like I told, like I was like, yeah, the the work you have in front of you is job one. You are job zero. You always override this. Yeah. And and in terms of planes falling out of the sky, I will point you at the the interview I did with uh, Sigrid Ellis. Uh, mm-hmm. God, was that two years ago now? Maybe longer. Um, who is so. an actual air traffic controller mm-hmm. as her day job and talks about everything they have in place to make sure that airplanes cannot fall out of the sky if the software fails. Yeah. Right? It's, it's astounding. And we're not even at that, you know, and, and so there have only been two people who I have talked to in any of this, whose job is such that if that, you know, lives are literally on the line. One is Sigrid and the other was Gary who mm-hmm. when not being a software developer and consultant is a volunteer EMT and fire person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, making the wrong, you know, so it's, but yeah, it's like, no, we're in software. There's yeah. nothing, you know, it, it, someone coming down and yelling at me that it's not going to meet this deadline and screaming about how it's, it's ruining their life or whatever. I'm like, no, it actually isn't. And, uh, whatever, like this yeah. is not life or death. And, it's uh, not. And yeah. You know, and again, I mean, it's, there are moments when you need to do the work, you need to actually roll it out in a particular time, but it, yeah, I, for a long time, I was always, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I've started yeah. to say, it's not even a marathon. It's a trek. And because a trek means you're going to walk 15 miles or 20 miles a day. You're going to stop and have lunch along the way. You're going to have to pitch camp along the way. So you're, it's not like you walk all night or march all night long to do this. What you say is, okay, you know, we're, we're going to go to Mount Pisgah. Or if you're out here, it's okay. We're going to get from, we're going to get to Glacier Peak today on, on the Pacific Coast Trail. Yeah. Great. That's a 15 mile thing. If we could do more, that's great. If we don't, that's fine. We're here to finish this, but it does not make any sense for us to put in, to just keep walking until we drop because it's not that important. No, I mean, uh, the, the closest, the entire Tibet trip was a trek, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it, Anything where it takes five days and multiple flights to get there is a trek. It's already a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can't treat it like I have to be rushed. I have to do this, that, and the other. No, it's, it's, there are stages and you stop and you rest in between because also you're changing altitudes like daily and it's, mm-hmm. that's harsh, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you could do it really, really quickly, but then you have to accept the consequences and the consequences mm-hmm. are not pleasant. And I think yeah. the same is true in software development. Yes, I can do everything in, in a sprint and burst and get it done and literally physically hurt myself, mentally hurt myself. I mean, we've both been there, right? Mm-hmm. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm yeah. helping a friend through it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, pushed and stressed themselves right to the breaking point. It's like, yeah, no, don't do that. People still call me about medium articles and stuff that I've written about burnout. They're like, you, thank you. You've written the thing. It has saved me. Everything's like, I finally see myself. And I'm like, 
the problem is you'd never see yourself until after when you should have seen yourself because you're so driven into the line. You're oh, yeah. so driven forward by that stuff. You don't get a chance to look back and go, did your teeth just fall out? You know, or, or are your, are your feet bleeding or are you like yelling at people or yeah, how much yeah. sleep did you get last night? And it's like, I think for a long time, I had that feeling that if I didn't do that, if I didn't do that, I was going to get mm-hmm. fired because that was the expectation. Yeah. And it's taken me a long, it's taken me over 25 years in this industry to realize <laughs> that none of that's true. What's true is if you can deliver, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can deliver regularly and effectively and creatively, great. That's what we want. If you are somebody that's just going to push yourself constantly to do this, then at some point you pass that point in no return where you're, you're going to be a, a smoldering you know, pile of carbon at some point. I, I look at it. Do you remember? I mean, we probably all do. Um, I wrote, I actually wrote a blog post about this, but do you remember? Mm. Um, I want to say it was when it was in one of the later seasons of Star Trek, the next generation where they find mm-hmm. Scotty in a oh, yeah. ring. Right. And mm-hmm. he's like, and, and he's like, you don't tell him, that it's going to take that. You have to give him more time. How's he going to think you're a miracle worker? I don't work like mm-hmm. that, right? If you build yeah. that reputation as the crunch guy, as the crunch person, as the person who will get the job done no matter what, it becomes what's expected, mm-hmm. right? You, it's expected. You I, you want to be the guy who's like, I'm upfront, I'm honest. This is the time, the minimum time we can possibly do it in, and even that's a stretch. Here's how much I really need. And then deliver on that schedule, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you need to be your authentic self Mm -hmm. and your authentic self also means setting limits. It also means saying, I'm going to be the person that will always be able to do this, but not create a false version of me. Right. That will create that sort of stuff, which I, a whole other podcast around, uh, toxic masculinity and, and our flag means death, by the way, which, um, a good friend of mine, um, oh. I mean, I mean, a good friend of mine, she's bi mm-hmm. and that show has just been catnip to her to the point that she found out I watched the show and suddenly she Kool-Aid mans into my DMs pretty much twice a day. So, but I, the other day I was like saying, yeah, this is all great, but this is how, it, if you're a cishet man and mm-hmm. you look at this, this is what you see. And it was just like, you know, melty brain just exploded everywhere. But yeah, you know, I, I think though that that's one of the key points is if you're going to do this, you have to accept who you are. Mm -hmm. Like I had to accept the fact that I could not use technology to solve the problem I've always had of, I need to figure out what shit I need to do today. Right. Because that did not work for me. So what did I do? I built something that did work for me Mm -hmm. because that's authentically who I am. I think part of the chase in the whole productivity industry has been 
well, this works for me. Well, this works for me. It's got to work. For, I can write books about it, right? Right. There is. And, wow, God. That That is a whole other podcast, but it's also something I'm passionate about, so I'm willing to spend some time on it. There is a toxicity in the capital P productivity space. Right? And I, I, um, and I was reading an article today from Medium that said, and I, I highlighted it and put notes in it for later review, but because I do that now, apparently, um, mm-hmm. uh, that's an offshoot of the building a second brain course I'm taking. And, mm-hmm. um, but the whole thing about it is that, yeah, it's not being busy. Isn't being productive. They are two different things. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And the, but the capital P productivity industry, the David Allen's, the, the Franklin Covey's, I have no problem saying this because I know everybody who's sort of derivative of that, hmm. the antiquated idea of being productive is being busy and maximizing every minute of the day to make sure you do every single thing is incredibly toxic and is not actually productive for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Right. Yeah. Um, and then they'll say things like at the end of the day, you know, now that you've done all this, you can go and you can do the things that are important to you. But the entire culture you've built around the productivity is that the important thing is always being busy with your work. I mm-hmm. hate it. I yes. hate it. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing I admire about this building a second brain course is the first thing Tiago says is this should not take up all day. And then, and also you will tailor this to your needs. Do not, you know, understand that this is how I do it. And I'm giving you guidelines, not hard rules. Right. Yes. I mean, he doesn't say it in so many words, but that's pretty much what it is. These are the guidelines. This is the framework and no one's going to call you out for doing it wrong because it's going yeah. to become very personalized. Yeah. And that is, and I think that's the other thing I've seen with this and I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll mention a, a thing to you and you'll understand exactly what I mean, which is agile scrum. Oh God. So the thing I see with it is similar to how, Agile Scrum, Agile mm-hmm. Scrum, however you want to see, whatever part of Agile is, has a almost fundamentalist uh, cadre to it that you mm-hmm. have to do it this way. And I know people who have 43 folders and they're getting things done and all of that. Yep. And it's like, that didn't work. All, all it got me was 43 folders and seven in the box because I had to buy a box of 50. You yeah, know? right. It's like, it's like, great, this doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a syncretism that you have to build for this to work. Mm-hmm. It has to be, and this is where being a designer has actually really helped, which is as a designer, you look at the problem, you pull the problem apart, you figure out positive ways to solve the problem. You ask whether that's even the problem to begin with, or if it's another problem. Yeah. And then you try your solutions and you keep working them until you get to something and you just keep going and you continuously build in the feedback. I'm like, is this still working for me? Like, you know, I, I, you know, I haven't been fully religious about using the, um, the bullet journal style of stuff, but at right, this right. point I have a book. I know this, I can mark what is things I need to look at 
what are things I need to address and when I need to address them. I'm not fundamental. I'm not doing the fundamentalist version of that, but I've adapted it for who I am. And that's a whole other podcast about fundamentalism versus Catholicism and syncretism versus yeah, blah, blah, blah. I, but let's not do the theology podcast today. Right, right, right. I, and I, one of the things, um, uh, I've had a chance to talk to uh, Andrew Hunt, uh, the pragmatic mm. programmer and Andy Hunt, um, uh, signer, yeah. signer of the Agile Manifesto, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things he, he said in a keynote he gave um, at the very first All Things Open He's local, so he comes to this every year. Um, yeah. Was that the the biggest failing of Agile is the Agile Manifesto is it was meant to be Agile. It wasn't meant to be a religious dogma. It was meant to be mm-hmm. adapted. It was meant to be tuned and adjusted and accept feedback loops. And instead, uh, he told me a story of a company he went to consult with, and before they started their scrum meetings, they they had a uh, they would read one of the tenets of the Agile Manifesto and then discuss briefly. And he was like, "No, no, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it's so cargo yeah. cult, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, no, that's not what it's meant." To, to be even my formal super formal enterprise level scrum master certification was like and you're not going to use all of this like implementing scrum is not meant to use every single ritual and every single it, you know it's mm-hmm. what you need for the situation and i'm pretty sure that half the people there went back with this long list of things to implement to correctly do scrum and mm-hmm you know, it's terrible and it's painful for everybody, but the scrum master who's now, you know, yeah. defining their job. Yeah. I had a, I had a engineering leader. I'll leave it at that. Who told me straight out. Oh no, we're post agile. We don't do agile. We, we we're beyond that. And what I discovered in the process was it was actually terrible because the things that Agile teaches you around, okay, break it into small chunks and work it mm-hmm. through and make sure that these things can make sure you, it, there's fail. Short you know. feedback loops and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then like what he created was at one point I had to write or I had to co-write a 27 page um, brief to explain the, the feature that I was trying to put into the product that I then discovered the engineers had actually taken and written a one page version of. Yeah. And that did not actually fit with the thing that I had. So now we were having a game of telephone, but it was like, if you create a situation where I have to write huge documents in order to explain this stuff for them to be able to do their work, then something has fundamentally failed. If, if they're not able to understand what it is that they need to do, you have fundamentally failed. If you, you know, yeah, I mean, I am so astonished all the time by people who get into this stuff and don't understand that the most core thing you can do is communication and make sure people understand every word. There is there is a fallacy, and I might have railed at you about this one before, but and I might have talked about it on the podcast before. It's almost the opposite, right? And mm-hmm. that is that I am the engineer who now has to support something, mm-hmm. right? And I say, I need a run book. And so what they give me 
is they give me a 47-page document that tells you every inch of every function of this stuff. And I'm like, that's great. What do I do if it has an error? Well, if you've read the document, you understand it. And therefore, mm -hmm. you can diagnose the error. And I'm like, time out. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is before I go on call, I have to read a 47-page document. And there's like one of these for every single, you know, major component. Mm -hmm. So I have to, I have to understand the system end to end, start to finish and have it all in my head when I go on call. And there's going to be a one line error. And because, but I have to do all of this advanced studying when I, what I really mm -hmm. need is a guide that says, if you see this error, do a, B and C. Mm hmm. All my documentation is basically, if you see this error, like my run books are A, B, and C. My design documents are 47 pages of how it's put together. The mm -hmm. person on call doesn't need that, right? Yeah. The person who picks it up for me or has to cover for me on the weekend doesn't need that. They need, if A happens, then B, mm -hmm. right? It's the, it's the opposite of what you're seeing, right? Yeah. And it, it, But it's like, we don't need all of this documentation, but we're being given it because that's what, the people who are designing things feel is necessary from an engineering yeah. standpoint. Like, yeah, okay, that's nice, but that's not actually useful in the long term mm -hmm. or in the short term. Long term, it's very useful. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, to, to actually try to get this back to something around productivity. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. The, the thing with this is mm -hmm. that you need to look at it this kind of in the same way. It's not, I need to write a run book for my life or I need to write a 27 page right. brief or whatever. It's literally every designer comes into the situation with talk to me about the problem. Who has the problem? Why do they have the problem? What are their pain points? What do they wish they could do? And then they talk about limitations. Okay. Mm -hmm. What can and cannot, you know, what, are, what are the things that box us in? And I've always been like, the best thing you can give a designer is constraints because the worst thing you can give a designer is a blank sheet of paper. Oh yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so if you're going to do this, you have to be able to understand a, what is the, the result you want? Like, like what is the, like I, as me, I want this to solve that. Right. Great. A classic user story, but you also have to know, whether that that solve that you want to solve is actually the problem that you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And you also have to be willing to say, okay, and then what are the personal constraints I have? Again, I'm going to buy 43 folders and every single day I'm going to put a piece of paper in there so I can always make sure where everything goes. That's great. You know what happened to me after three days? I wasn't doing it anymore. There's nope. a constraint there. Huh. Yeah. Dylan can't do that. <laughs> so what do we do instead? So... Yeah, no. You know, as a, I think the thing I've learned as a designer is if you look at the world like a designer, like a true designer, not not a designer who looks at things and makes things pretty, or a designer yeah. who looks at it and makes a very avant garde and doesn't understand why you why you have a problem with the fact that all the buttons are gray. It's the aesthetic of the time, man. Um, is you never, never have everything be a gray button because everybody goes, well, this is all disabled. Anyway. Right. anyway. Yeah. No, um, I understand that one. Yeah. Yeah. Explain for the listeners. The, 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 the thing a good designer does is have an open mind about 
what this is and be willing to absorb as much information as possible, figure out what's there and be able to build and hypothesize and get rapid feedback on it. You know, again, agile scrum, it's about rapid feedback, but it's also about rapid feedback for you. I mean, one of the Mm -hmm. things I've had to do with this thing is like the reason why I've dropped to just having this book, the reason why my life is basically this book and my outlook calendar at this point, and I still have Excel spreadsheets, is this is the simplest form that I can use where at any point I can open it up and go, where are we? I can pop my phone open at 7.30 at night and go, do I have a 7 a.m. meeting? Should I go to bed now? you know, welcome, welcome to the hell of the West Coast. I could pop up in my book and go, okay, so what is it I need to talk about with, with blank? Mm-hmm. And I can go find it. It's simple. It's it's easy for me to use, but that's the solution I needed because of the constraints of who I am, how my ADHD works, and how mm-hmm. I am able to function inside of this stuff. Yeah. Every person has to do that same thing. To go back to what you're saying about Tiago. Mm-hmm. You take the best things and you make it work for you, but there is no, there is no single route up the mountain, you know? Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm rapidly turning into a theologian about this stuff. I, I mean, that's having had to have the discussion recently with, I don't know if you saw the Twitter thread about how apparently they were, there is a, uh, plenary indulgences are being offered by the Catholic Church again. Oh yeah, and, you yeah. know. As I, I don't know if you saw that whole thing where I was having to e- explain in probably more detail than she wanted. Uh, you know, um, the theology of confession and guilt in mainstream Lutheranism and Protestantism versus you know fundamental right that whole thing and. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I understand having to have theological discussions about productivity because I, I have some theological opinions myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, um, there was a thing that just, okay. As Ursula would say, I had a thought and now it's like a bunny and I can see it's little fluffy tail hopping off into the distance. So it'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So open a book, find the next thing. I mean, I, that's hugely important, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. And, and like I said, some people can build very elaborate systems and they can function really well in high mm-hmm. level structures. Yeah. One of the craziest things I tell people is a lot of my work is information architecture. Mm-hmm. But if you look at my desktop on, on, on my Mac, there's a whole set of files across there completely unorganized. People are like, well, how do you know what's where? And I'm like, well, I have a search function. Yeah. Two, I may sweep stuff up and you know, all the images go in the images box. And mm-hmm. I might do that every, every couple of months. But I'm okay with that because I don't need that structure. What I need is the findability. That's yeah. a different thing from a structure. Because a structure just allows for findability. But the findability can't be pulled from a structure. It's not findable. But if I can pull, if I can pull, I find things in the chaos. Mm-hmm. And I cannot, I, I cannot emphasize the, um, the power of the modern search engine from what is included with 
your default OS to the high-end solutions. Mm-hmm. He says where I technically work for a company whose core product is search that everybody uses and nobody knows they're using at the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the power of search, especially when we now have it at our fingertips, on our desktops, on our phones, um, not just the ability to look up any piece of information we want, but if I have a piece of information stored somewhere, I can find it in my stuff. It's just mind-blowing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't have to have that file structure, but you know, or, or whatever, but if you're the kind of person like me, that just helps you find it faster. I need X, okay, mm-hmm. I know exactly where to look. And then maybe I'm just searching that group of documents for something specific, not here's every document ever related to X. You know, yeah. but yeah. that's what works for me, not what works for you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Do you ever and do that, a thing where it's like, I'm done with this project, so I'm taking all the files off my desktop, shoving them into a folder, and shoving it into an archive somewhere? Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah, In okay. fact, I have, like, if you look at my personal stuff, I might or might not have removed things from previous companies around particular projects I've done. So if I ever <laughs> need to go back and get a job, I may have something I may or may not be able to reference. Right. But a lot of that is like, I will actually bundle things up and go, okay, this is everything around this. If I ever need it, I can always pop it open. Mm -hmm. Primarily because when somebody says like, hey, do you remember that time on X project where you did? It's Mm -hmm. not, hey, remember that time when you did? It's like, ah, okay, metadata. Metadata says it was that Mm -hmm. project. I know I have that folder. Give me a second. Yeah. Yeah, metadata so, is is like the the unsung hero here. Yeah, yeah, because you 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 generate your own metadata, and that's what you're using for referencing and building the connections between things. Which is mm-hmm. uh, exactly how search engine works. It's just your brain is our brains are a much better search engine than we give it tr- credit for. But you kind of have to either work with it to train it that way, or you have some natural ability, like being easily distracted. So you notice all the little details. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and that's the thing too, is you have to remember that those things that seem to be bad actually might actually be the perfect thing you need for that particular moment. Mm -hmm. And again, it comes back to being your authentic you, you know, I have to authentically admit that I am ADHD depressed and have a bad and have, anxiety disorders right right so if i can do that and i can also tell you how i work and how i design mm-hmm. and when i go when i go off that road that road map and when i come back on it like if i could tell you all that then i am actually going to be able to authentically tell you exactly what we're going to be able to do how we're going to do it and when i'm going to be able to deliver it <laughs> if at any point yeah. i decide to not be that then i don't know what's going to happen Right. Right. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not a party boy. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a tech bro. I'm just a guy with, you know, you know, guy sitting in Seattle trying to get his shit done, you know, and make sure his team is, his team is not, you know, out to mutiny against him. Um, And that's, that's what I am. And The hardest, I think in the early days in this, you really do think I need to be something that I am not. 
And the reality oh. is you need to figure out how to be what people need of you and what you can sell of you, but as you, not as, you know, whatever else. We talk about Lady Gaga all the time mm-hmm. and meat dresses and this and that, but Stephanie Dramata at her core is a classical pianist and mm-hmm. a lover of, and a, and a damn great singer. Oh yeah. Right. You know, and you know, so everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe she's doing these things with Tony Bennett and all this. And there she is with Liza Minnelli. But I'm like, like no, I could totally believe that because yeah. you know what Stephanie Dramata is? She built a persona of herself and mm-hmm. has grown around that. And it was never, I'm going to go be the rock star and end up dead in a ditch at 27. It was, no, I'm doing it my way. Yeah. And the result has been, you know. All of her fans, you know, all her money, all of her, all of her talent. So the, the most shocking thing that no one expected that I think she knew she could do all along. Right. Um, was American horror story hotel. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, okay, I, I was already in for American horror story, no matter what. But when I saw that season and I saw her performance in it, it was like, eye opener that was mm-hmm. when i went from she is from she's an incredibly talented musician to she is an incredibly talented human being across mm-hmm. many disciplines and uh, you know since proven of course with a star is born and other things that oh yeah you know it wasn't a fluke it's yeah 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 talent recognizes talent but sometimes mm-hmm. talent has to recognize it in itself yeah and sometimes it has to take those opportunities to do that. Again, trying new ideas, testing them mm-hmm. out, doing other things. You know, I'm never going to sing with Tony Bennett. I never <laughs> would have sung with Tony Bennett. I know that he's now has Alzheimer's and is retiring from all of this. But I know, right, right. you know, I, I have a karaoke voice that once got me yelled at by a drunk girl telling me that I didn't know how to sing. Which is why I stopped singing karaoke. Well, yeah, I, anytime someone's like, uh, the biggest threat Ursula can give me anymore is, I will sing to you. And I'm like, okay, whatever it is, it's not worth it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just go back away now. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, married a, I married a choir nerd who has constantly told me over the last 25 years of our relationship, you're a little sharp. The exact quote from Ursula's mother um, when Ursula was like, what do you think of this? And her mother says, it, it's lovely. It's brilliant. And Ursula said, look, you're my mom. You have to tell me these things. And her mother looked at her and said, did I ever tell you you could sing? <laughs> so it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> brutal yeah. honesty from mom. Right. And sometimes you need that brutal honesty, but you have to be able to have that same brutal honesty with yourself. You yeah, can't lie absolutely. to yourself and, and keep it. You can't lie and say, well, I have, I don't really have ADHD. I don't, I'm not really, you know, anxious about this thing. Um, because the more, because then you're fighting and rebelling against what, you know, and it, it's ultimately bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So I don't even think for an hour everywhere. No. No, that's that's fine. I, I'm not even worried about systems and habits because I, you've, we've covered it. Um, I, you know, pretty much if you're like me, your day is now I get up, I come to my, I get my coffee, I come to my office, 
I do my Zoom meetings and my real work all day, and then I go off and do my other stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the way it's been for me for four years, it's just now every morning when I put on my pants, I make gold records. <laughs> <laughs> Which I realized the other day is like making references to the Blue Oyster Cult um, uh, cowbell sketch from SNL. Yes. It's like there are kids who were born after that now. But I will say the one thing that has changed mm-hmm. in all that is as the pandemic came on, I actually bought a Chemex. Oh. And, and I will say that me making drip pour over has been too plus years of trial and many, many, many Mm -hmm. errors. But the one thing it makes me do every morning is have to put the water in, have to heat up the kettle, have to look at my timings and my weights and then be Mm -hmm. done. And then, then I go downstairs and have my meetings and caffeine just drives me the rest of the way. But having that moment there where it's like, I have to do this thing huge because it forces that back to the religion thing Mm -hmm. here we are again is one of the things you see one of the one of the practices and within religions is the need to change go through a ritual to change between the outside world and the inside world or from outside the the religious establishment to inside you know from Mm -hmm. from the Muslim tradition of you come in and you wash yourself three times and you'd wear different shoes to you mm-hmm. know, the Catholic tradition of, you know, holy water and genuflection. Every one of those is like, you come in and you make yourself different. Mm-hmm. You, you, you ready yourself for the fact that you're going to receive something different. And for me sitting there pouring that coffee over and staring at it and making sure it's right and going, Oh shit, we're five minutes again. It's going to be as bitter as hell is, <laughs> It's just part of that, you know, it's the same thing. I feel like, I feel like it's an, you know, I'm doing my ablutions. I'm putting on my shoes. I'm getting my mat ready. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming in to face Allah. Peace be upon him. So I, for me, it's my shower. Like every Mm -hmm. day before work, that is like, yes, I will come down. So the dogs do not let me do anything other than, you know, well, you know, take the dog out, feed the cat, make my coffee. Right. That is. That is sort of that morning, that is the morning ritual there. But when it's time to work, it is, okay, I will now have a shower. I will get dressed as if, and I've done this, I mean, since Aptio, right? Since I worked, mm-hmm. since I started working full-time from home 11 years ago now, it's been that mm-hmm. long. You realize it's been that long? Um, oh my God. What, but it's, 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 you know, that, 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 st- okay, I am putting on i'm having a shower i'm brushing my teeth i'm getting ready to work is that that Mm -hmm. transitional mindset of okay you know like there are people who are like i am never wearing real pants to work again and i'm like i never stopped i was never a sweatpants at home person because that was like part of my mindset was Mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm getting dressed like i'm going to go to work i'm not actually getting in a car and going places Mm-hmm. anymore i don't have to take a kid to school every day like i did before but mm-hmm. you know there's that whole now i'm in my office space dressed as i would be for an office so now i can think in the office way mm-hmm. and then the bonus is that you know i get to take a break and give the cat treats or hang out with chickens out front you know mm-hmm. or whatever instead of having to stand out on the back 
you know, the back loading dock smoking like a degenerate. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, the degenerates and the smoke on the loading yeah. dock. Yeah, it, you know that. You know, when I was at Abtio, of course, I had to drive twenty, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. twenty-three miles round trip every day between Seattle and Bellevue, and right, right. It was you know, kind of a notoriously bad drive, and it still is. Yeah. Now I've gone to like I could just come straight down here. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to come down here. I could just simply grab my computer and sit on the couch upstairs and take my first meeting. Yeah, but I don't. Because for me, it's important to make sure everything is set in a particular order so that when I get down here, I know mentally where I am and what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I have I can look at the background and go, okay, there's my cicada. I know where I am. And yeah, um, I have a cicada poster behind me for those of you all who can't see me on radio. Right, right. Yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out exactly what that was. It's a cicada. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's well, a cicada. Yeah. Uh, well, from here, because of the patterns on cicadas, I'm like, is it? sort of a stylized statue of liberty face with the spikes but okay it's a cicada that makes much more sense yeah 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 and it's yeah. that the line under it is our time will come which <laughs> i you know and also for radio you can't see that one of one of the tattoos i got is of a cicada of a 17 mm-hmm. year one in fact um with the orange with the the red eyes and the orange wings so yeah and you know, which started as my pandemic, post-pandemic, we're going to get out of this tattoo, was like, I'm going to, you know, it's time for me to crawl out of the ground and start screaming. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's uh, Meanwhile, I have, you know, stuffed, different varieties of stuffed chickens and chicken things around my office because we all know I have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone I know knows I have a problem and yet no one has stopped me. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you have a chicken intervention? I mean, other than, you know, uh, Slicing them thin and frying them. Um, and that is only with roosters. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I have six baby chicks out there, and we're just like, I hope that one's not a rooster, but even if it is, it's going to be tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's why they're nuggets until they're at least, you know, until we know if they're a hen or a rooster. Yep. That's why my two the two the, my two breeding stock roosters are dumpling and pot pie because if they don't do their jobs, that's what they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at least, at least they know their position in the in the in the food they, chain. Yeah, yeah, they know exactly what what their job is and and what happens if they don't do it. So, mm-hmm. um. I'm going to extrapolate from all of this that your handling of failure has changed. Yeah, I would say mm-hmm. it has. Um, I think for one thing, working through everything around um, mm-hmm. the pandemic and one of the things, you know, you were kind of mentioned of ADHD and anxiety mm-hmm. earlier, but there's this whole set of co-combinant things around it. Oh yeah. Some of which look like autism spectrum, but one of them is rejection (laughs) sensitive dysphoria. And one thing I've learned is I've always actually had it. And I have always kind of pushed it aside in a way or tried to work through it. But the reality is, you know, I'm great and everything else. And I curl up in a ball and think nobody loves me. Um, So, what I have learned 
especially Mm -hmm. in software is, and especially as we've made a shift away Mm -hmm. from platter software, away from you go run it out, you you make, you print the CD or DVD and it's out in the world is Mm -hmm. in a cloud software world. If you fuck it up, you can just push a fix. It's as easy as that. Yeah. And, and, in fact, I have a, we're on a release schedule now and I had to tell everybody, I know you're not going to get all this finished. That's fine mm-hmm. because the next day we're going to push and the next day we're going to push. And in fact, we might push three times that day. So our users are always going to be able to know, hey, we're updating this constantly. Yeah. So the ability to close that loop as fast as possible has been a big thing. And mm-hmm. also, you know, finally, understanding, at least for me, that there is... There are no failures. There's just lessons. Some of which may be very hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but um let the I really did have a belief early on and, and you know you kind of saw that with me at Aptio was mm-hmm. it was very it was very polar. Either it was going to succeed or it was mm-hmm. going to fail incredibly miserably. Yeah. And what what I've learned and I don't know it was like that before I came in but as I've gotten older and work more with software, the more I realized there's no such thing as, as, as it will succeed wildly or fail wildly. There's only, it will succeed possibly in some areas. It will be insufficient in others. And in other areas, you don't think are are significant. It may not be significant at all. And somebody's always going to call you about the thing that you never thought about. And you know what? That's the way that I, that's the way the world works. Yeah. um, You know, I think one of the things that I really like about the cloud delivery model that I'm involved in now. We will not talk mm-hmm. about the cloud delivery, the, and I'm putting this in air quotes, the cloud and software as a service delivery model of our prior employer, because it wasn't really. Um, but there are, I would, I would say, and I, we don't, we did, we did not sign it on a disparagement clause that there, there were not just quotes around cloud. There were multiple quotes around the word cloud. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I I described it very. I described it once as yeah, we're just doing we're just doing platter software, but we forgot to buy the DVD maker. And uh, but the thing about it was is always forward, never back. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, uh, while that is admirable, one of the things I love about cloud delivery is the the way cloud delivery should be is okay. We've pushed an update and it doesn't work, or there's an unexpected bug. Okay, roll it back. Done. Mm-hmm. Right there, there's no okay. We have shipped out four million CDs of version two, and they all have a horrible bug. So now we have to basically eat that cost and ship out version two point one. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Or tell people, oh, by the way, here's go download a patch. Like when I was in a software a platter software delivery world like we had the dial-up bulletin board it's like yes if you need uh oh you need this update so go to CompuServe or dial into our bulletin board and go to the download section and mm-hmm. like you can tell i did this in the 90s now right uh pre-internet yeah. everywhere yeah <laughs> the national the national anthem of gen x is the the modem dial-up noise the, no, no, right? the modem handshake noise yeah yeah, a noise my kids I do not believe have ever heard in person for real. No. So yeah. Oh. Have you changed how you celebrate things? 
Not really. Things are about the same. Yeah. Um, I feel like the one change I think I've made is to be more because I have a team now. Making yeah. sure it's a thousand percent about them. But I personally, I've never been a person who celebrated my own stuff because yeah. great, you know, um, tomorrow I'll do a different thing. But for them, it's very much like, I want to make sure that you know your role in this. And I have reached that point of, mm-hmm. I think my, my, my boss in the promotion thing we sent out called me passionate and compassionate. And I almost like I'm passionately compassionate in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. but a lot of that means me going, I think you're doing a great job at this. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure you understand that the thing that we saw today in this demo, that was you, you did that work. You, I am telling the whole company about that. You should always yeah. own those things. And if you ever are in a position where you feel like it's failure and we can talk, mm-hmm. we're not going to do it in front of everybody. We're just going to do it on the side, you know, the, but for me, celebration has just turned into, I mean, part of it is I make a tech salary now. So how am I supposed to celebrate? Like, like back in the, back in the Aptio days, yeah, my way of every time I did my annual review and I got through it, mm-hmm. I would go down to um, the liquor store, whether it was, you know, pre pre privatizing them. There was a one up on in Kirkland. And after that, it was all yeah, total yeah. wine. I'd, I'd go in and I'd buy a really good bottle of scotch, you know, straight, you know, you know, something to drink straight. And I don't really do that anymore because honestly, at a certain point in tech, you make so much money. It's like, great. Wonderful. I can go buy a hundred dollar bottle of scotch, but why? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel really bad for saying that because it really does make me feel like, Oh, I'm a rich person. What's a hundred bucks. What's a banana, Michael, 10 bucks. Um, so, so it's, but I think for me, it's the joy I get, the celebration I get is watching other people succeed. Yes. And yeah. I think that's become more and more my thing anyway, is, you know, I was at a software demo the other day and it went off flawlessly. It was beautiful. And I ended up on the phone with the dev. And the first thing I said is like, that was, that was kick-ass dude. You did incredible work. And, you know, we're, we're not uh-huh. talking about, you know, by the way, I'm calling you because you, you totally fucked up a piece of the design. Um, <laughs> but, you know, let's make uh-huh. sure we start with the fact that I'm calling out that I celebrate the fact that you did amazing work, that you are doing amazing things, that you are, you're getting better than you used to, uh-huh. because that's what gives me joy. Are you doing things better today than you were yesterday? Are you growing? Are you changing? Are you pushing yourselves, pushing yourself in a new way? I'm going to be all for that. You know, I, that's where the joy comes for me is watching some, like watching a designer go from, I don't really know what I'm doing to literally leading the conversation and, mm-hmm. or, you know, watching someone go from, I don't understand how content design would even work inside of this product that you're going to do to become the evangelist for content design in my organization. It's yeah. like, 
that gives me joy. You know, the rest of the time, whatever. You know, yeah. if I really want to celebrate, I'll just order a pizza. Uh, yeah, yeah. DoorDash has been the best thing. It took two years before we got it. Hmm. But now that I have it and I can have more than ordering a pizza, it's been great. Um, yeah. You know, but yeah, no, we- I mean, there, there is that, that change. And I, I, and it's not because I was rich. It's because I have expensive tastes. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I, I have, yeah, that hundred dollar bottle of scotch and sometimes it's a gift and sometimes it's a gift to yourself, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to run out and buy it every time also because, uh, well, I basically stopped drinking through this whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. I what was the point? Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like if I I celebrate, it's so much easier to celebrate other people's successes than my own. Um, Nettle and Bone came out this week, and it is being met with a huge amount of positive reviews and and all this, mm-hmm. and it's so easy to talk about how awesome that is, and. You know, on the flip side, it's like, yes, I just had my annual review and it was really positive, and that's nice. But let's talk about you know all this other stuff um, mm-hmm. that's going on that for for Ursula's things or for you know mm-hmm. um, uh, my friend Cat Cat's things or you know oh my God, did you read John Scalzi's last book, um, mm-hmm. Kaiju Preservation Society? Amazing. Um, it's so much easier to celebrate other people's successes and. Uh, and I, I, I'm trying to be more conscious of, of the little things for my own, of my own personal little successes, even if it's like, you know, going to my wife and saying, Hey, guess what? I got a raise today because I had a, I did a really good job this year. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe yeah. all that's, uh, maybe that's all I need is to, is that recognition of, wasn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to go out yeah. to the meat faucet anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, and I'll say, you know, I got this promotion. I finally, I've been mm-hmm. trying to get the the big D yeah. for a long time. I've had director roles all the places, but it's always felt like I got it because I asked for it because mm-hmm. I was the only designer there. Um, right, right. But in this case, it really was this organization refused to give you a director role because they had a very specific way that they described a director because they've been mm-hmm. around for 20 years. And it actually hit that. And to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I made director and just yeah, the one yeah. hand me like feeling personally proud, but also being outwardly nonchalant about it. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. And then my mother mm-hmm. found out about it. And you can imagine <laughs> that everybody now in the world now knows that right, I'm, right, I'm right, right. director of design. And mm-hmm. it's like, you should go put that in the alumni magazine. I'm like, yeah. If I'm they care, they'll the look alum- it up on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 like you know what I'll put in my alumni magazine is what my total poundage of of tomatoes I've I've picked this year from my plants is going to be. There you go. You know, yeah. Dylan Wilbanks, Environmental Conservation '94, picked seventeen and a half pounds of tomatoes this year and is making sauce out of them. There you go. Yeah. Um, or in my case, uh, there was a point a couple months ago before I changed how I store them for long term. I had. 72 egg- my girls produced 72 eggs in the course of like a week and a half oh lord spring is just they were just moving um 
I had to figure out a different way to preserve eggs because at a point you just can't give them away anymore. So now yeah. I have a bucket. So I learned how to glass water glass eggs this spring. That's my, I'm so proud of myself for that one. Wow. Wow. You know, and we'll know in yeah. December if I did it right. <laughs> when I take the first egg out after it's been in there since April and see what, yeah, what comes oh, out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've got, I got a whole jar of green tomato relish that I bought, I did before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I keep thinking, I really want to see if I've been able to pull it off, but also I don't want to open that jar because <laughs> I don't know if it's going to kill me. Yes. That, that Midwestern um, dance with death that we take every year when canning. Yes. <laughs> Even though you're, and you you're, only you're, live once, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I know he's not a popular person to talk about because apparently it turned out he was a terrible human being, but Garrison Keillor had a whole bit about um, canning in the Midwest and the Lutheran, you know, stoicism and acceptance of death that every time you opened one, is this the one that you did wrong and is going to kill you? But it's Mm -hmm. winter and you, you, you have to have that vegetable, right? So, (laughs) yeah, no, the, uh, you know, and that's the the thing since I started canning and and pickling and such mm-hmm. is like having to understand that this stuff can kill you. Yes, the rules that are in place are to keep it from killing you. Do not use a recipe from 1955; it will probably kill you. Right. Oh yeah. No. Although, I mean, in fairness, when I pickle eggs, I'm using the recipe that my grandmother probably learned from her grandmother, but. Yeah, I think that one's yeah. reasonably safe at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I th- yeah, I mean, when I when I do lacto fermentation on stuff, it's like I follow what yeah. probably has been the same rules for the last ten thousand years, which is mm-hmm. it's a salt, it's a saline. So mm-hmm. just figure out how much salt goes in it and go for it, and don't do the thing you did that one time where you accidentally misread um, cup for pound. Um, oh. That was a very salty whatever it was, wasn't it? It was it was amazingly salty. <laughs> it there nothing could have lived in it. Even those like <laughs> fish that only live in like super high saline solutions in random places, they yeah, would have gone, yeah. I, I'm out of here. This is, this is, this is <laughs> right. the fish of the Dead Sea are like, man, that's too salty for me. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, fuck off. We're go- we're going to go someplace less salty like McDonald's french fries or something. Yes. Cool. Um it's been a great discussion. Do you have a, a charity you want our people to give money to instead of me? Oh, yeah. Um Trans Lifeline for sure cuz oh, they awesome. are Yes. So cuz they are the ones who when kids especially in different parts of the country, gender queer kids, especially in places where currently they're trying as best they can to exterminate them from existence. Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know. But you know, I, I feel someone was said to me, like when you're, when your child came out as trans, what was it like? I'm like, it was like, I had a son. Yeah. And I think, and, and everyone was always like, you're such an amazing father. And all I can think of is every kid who mm-hmm. every queer kid who has been a runaway, been on the street, 
you know, had to live in other people's houses because their parents looked at them and said, you are no longer someone that we accept in this place. And it just fucking pisses me off. So, you know what? Give money to trans lifeline because Mm -hmm. they run, they run that hotline that basically lets tells these kids, Hey, you're valuable. You're worthy and you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, by the way, if, if anyone out there is, is struggling with that sort of thing, by the way, you're valuable you're important, you're loved, and you're okay, even if you don't know. Like me personally, just you do, you know, it's cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's cool to be you, no yes. matter what you is. You know? Yes. Yeah. Don't conform to this shit. It's not <laughs> worth it. No, it's, it's also watch watch your flag means death because that will also yeah, oh my death. god it is so brilliant and um i finally i finally got to see napalm death live oh uh this past weekend and that was Ooh. that was an amazing experience because he, what people forget is the old punks were we we are the trans we were transgressive and there they are you know and very liberal and nazi punks fuck off and mm-hmm. you know um and it was it was just brilliant to see a band who is roughly our age hmm. up there, still kicking it, still rocking it, and and standing up there saying literally, um, uh, speaking out very vocally uh, for um, uh, immigrant rights, uh, for refugees, for uh, uh, women, you know, for all that stuff. Um, in you know, I mean, it's Charlotte. It was Charlotte. It's a conservative southern town, right? Mm-hmm. But they're still up there, basically saying Nazi punks fuck off, and I am all for it. Yeah. So and you know, I, and on that whole thing, it's like I, I appreciate now that that force horror punk is coming back. I think for mm-hmm. way too long, it was too. <sighs> Red Hot Chili Peppers, sort of like we're punk, but also I'm hot. Uh, or you know, Oof. I'm punk, but let me let me tell you. But have you ever really thought about what Ayn Rand says and how amazing it is? And now it's yeah. like, you know, I feel like between Laura Jane Grace mm-hmm. and between you know a lot of other bands now that have really kind of you know either been out on that or have really pushed against it, that the punk spirit has is is coming back around. You know what? We are transgressive. We won't take shit, and we are going to support. You know, what do crust punks support? But the <laughs> but but people who are basically treated like crust punks. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and I. You know, for the first time ever, I, one of my life lifelong bucket list bands. I get to see them this summer. Rage Against the Machine. Right? Oh yeah, and you want to talk about a band that has always been at the forefront of that. Um, to the point, I, did you see the thing, I guess it was last year or the year before, where someone had said, man, I hate when musicians get political to Tom Morello. And his response yes. was, please tell me what songs of my, uh, in my catalog are not political so that I might remove them. And I'm just like, yeah. My, yeah. My, my youngest brother um, is a, was a huge Rage fan mm-hmm. and is now... He was banned from Twitter for being one of those conservative assholes. Oh, I see. I see. Yes. And I'm always like just sitting here going, well, you know what they say about apparently if you tell kids 
that gayness that that gay exists that they're they're gonna you're gonna convert them to being gay. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly, telling telling this telling my brother that the the capitalist system as we understand it needs to be subverted did not take. So, right. I, if anything, I look at the DeSantis's and the Abbots of the world and go, look, I can prove it from the other side. Yeah. <laughs> None of this you say is true. Yeah. So just, oh, yeah. you know, stick a sock in it. But yeah, I, I always laugh at the fact that he, he was, I mean, he would play bulls on parade at, you know, 11. And now yeah. he's like, now he's got like a three percenter sticker on the back of his car and of let's go Brandon flag off of it. And Ugh. I'm just sitting here going, yeah, I mean, you didn't actually Tom- listen to the lyrics. Did you just the refrain? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, and even though yeah. the refrain, just the words mm. as words and not as yeah. the meaning that comes from the words orthographically. Yep. Oh yep. my God. So, all right. Where can we find you online if you care to share that? Uh, well, until Elon destroys it, I am on Twitter at Dylan W, D Y L A N W. Um, <laughs> I think for the first time, I'll admit I'm also on Instagram. Oh. Um, my website is still quite outdated, but it is dylanwillbanks.com. Um, and yeah, if you need to get a hold of me, you probably, if you hang around one of those things long enough, you'll probably see me. Yeah. Um, I'm also a Mastodon too, by the way. Um, oh, hey, all but, right. Um, um, my Dylan W at XOXO.zone. Oh, hey, so, I know that server. Yeah. So I'm in the XO. I'm one of the XO people. So, you know. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, you you probably saw I've I've we've got Red Wombat Social, and I'm I'm you know slowly I've had it for years at this point, but you know I'm I'm slowly bringing more people in. So yeah, yeah. No, the other day it was like I think I've made 125,000 tweets over the last 15 years, and yesterday I think I, I made my 50th Macedon tweet. <laughs> I I have a thing that cross posts. So when yeah. I when I go on a thing when I go on a tear on Twitter because it's right there and it's easy it automatically updates on oh yeah on Mastodon which has been really handy and uh, so and will make it easier because it goes the other way as well so if I slowly mm. switch pl- switch to the other platform then yeah it just it just sort of carries over but I got to get all my followers right I got to find all the people I follow from Twitter on Mastodon now yeah <laughs> I. We're way over. I've completely derailed this thing, That's but fine. I will it's say, I'll, I'll say the thing that has frustrated me the most about Elon wanting to buy mm-hmm. this and just the sheer level of collapse that seems to be coming with it is I have 3,800 ish followers on Twitter yeah. and they, they range from designers around the world to media people, to companies, to um, old friends from all these different circles. And it's just like, even if I want to invite one tenth of that party back mm-hmm. to the house, how do I do that? And then once I do, how do I still get everything out? I've always gotten out, you know, whenever I write something, I post it there, mm-hmm. people read it. It circulates. Yeah. Whenever I have an opinion, people, I post it there. It circulates, but now it's, you have this little party. What happens then? And it's like, I, it's like being back in the olden days when I, 
Early on in Twitter, I felt so amazed that I got to a hundred followers. Right. Yeah. And I still, and it was I, like, I'm cool. I, you know? I still talk to the, some of those original, like 15 from mm -hmm. 97 or not 97 from 2007. Oh, seven. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, seven. You know? Um, so, oh, dude, it's been great catching up. You too, man. All right. And uh, uh, so for the people at home, we'll be right back after this. And then I'm going to go thank him profusely for doing this, right? So. thank dylan for coming on the show again and again and again uh it's always awesome to have him on and uh really it was such a great great conversation i always look forward to them um kind of like i do with michelle and dino and selfie and uh, all of our recurring guests yes so you you have a yeah. a fantastic uh stable of of yeah awesome people yeah and uh even better is uh when i get to talk to some new people and i've got a whole bunch of new people coming up in the next several weeks um which i hope everybody you know enjoys um all right so let's get down to the next bit of business which is our word for the week our badge code and this week it is run book run book run book all right yes um, the, 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 one of the points that, you know, I have sitting in my notes, the question, do I need a run book for my life? And it just, that's one of the things that like resonated in our discussion and I'm not spoiling anything because by now you've all listened to it. Right. Right. Haven't so you? You did didn't just skip to the end to get the badge code, right? I, I can't imagine that anyone yeah. is doing that, but then again, people are complicated. People are complicated. Thinking of complicated. Uh, you can find out more about badges, what they are, uh, how to get them, how to use them, all that good stuff at productivityalchemy.com. You can also find back episodes, links to our guests, all the show notes, all the show notes. Um, more show notes than you can shake a stick at. At least 255 episodes worth. Good God. And every single show notes uh, has a charity spotlight because while we have a support link, we would prefer that you did not actually support us. I mean, you're supporting us by sharing on social media, by telling us how awesome it is, by telling your friends about it, by getting your friends to come on the show. That yeah. is so cool when that happens. Volunteer um, your friends as tribute. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Interviews for the interview god. Okay, I'm actually episodes kind of okay. for the episode throne. No, keep going. I'm digging it. It's... 
no, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. You know, I'm just, um, anyway, anyway, we would prefer you give your money to some charity who can use it because we're doing fine. We'll tell you if we need money, but we don't, we're cool. So, yeah, we're cool. We're cool. So who, who should they think about sending money to this week? Uh, Trans Lifeline. Always, always yes. a plus. A, a helpline and support, uh, for trans people by trans people. Yes. And we are big fans. Yes. We have many trans friends and neighbors that, uh, that yeah. we would like to be supported in and, yes. their journey as by people who know what the hell they're doing. Cause, uh, let's be honest here, folks, in most, most everything, but when I'm actually moving little, little sound bites around and, and saying publish, I don't know what I'm doing anyway. None of us have any idea what we're doing. Really? So, so yes. Yeah. So, absolutely. Trans Lifeline. Yep. We, we give them some love. Please. And, and by love, we mean money. Uh, yes, lots of money. Um, not all your money, because you need some to live on, too. But, yes, and uh, that is okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't feel bad if you can't support, you know, yes. whatever. You, you living is the most important thing. Yes. Okay, so one other note that just occurred to me, because I, the dings you're hearing are actually messages from Selfie. Okay. Um, and I was just remembering uh, earlier, it was last week, Selfie asked me the, and I'm putting this in air quotes, Pope of Productivity. Oh, God. For absolution. <laughs> for the remainder of 2022, because Selfie had just had another disaster. So we're going to... I. Later this year, we're going to have a catch-up with Selfie just to talk about... You hear that, Selfie? We're, we're, we're getting there. Um, just to talk about the disasters and coping and all of that. So as the Pope of Productivity... Are you offering a productivity indulgence to No, selfie? I'm not. No, I'm not. I've, I, I'm offering to you absolution and my blessing to take a few days off and rest. Oh. <laughs> Well, all right. I, I I don't know if if the Pope of Productivity really if Reverend Mord told me to do it, I'd be like, okay. Indeed, uh, you should take some time off. Fine. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I hope you had a good time. We're having a good time apparently, and. Um, <laughs> You know, go out there and uh, do your best to um, stay productive, no matter what it looks like. I'm going to go play V Rising. There you go. <laughs>